Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. Dear Mr. Harris, I write this letter because I read a quote that you submitted to a news agency after a natural disaster and it intrigued me. As I'm sure that being an accomplished author, including a book called Ending Faith, and owner of your very own podcast called Making Sense, you are called upon for these sorts of sound bites on regular occasion, and so let me remind you of what you said. You said, either God can do nothing to stop catastrophes like this, or he doesn't care, or he doesn't exist. You said, either God is impotent, evil, or imaginary. Take your pick and choose wisely. You said the only sense to make of tragedies like this is that terrible things can happen to perfectly innocent people. This understanding inspires compassion. You said religious faith, on the other hand, erodes compassion. Thoughts like this might be part of God's plan or there are no accidents in life, or everyone on some level gets what he or she deserves, these ideas are not only stupid, they are extraordinarily callous. You said they are nothing more than a childish refusal to connect with the suffering of other human beings. It is time to grow up and let our hearts break at moments like this. First, Mr. Harris, allow me to commend you on your astute observation of my religious tradition. Yes, we are prone to shaking away opportunities to be compassionate. Yes, we use catchphrases to free us from the burden of listening and seeking to understand. Yes, we appreciate that this can do more harm than good. But don't knock children. Childish? If only we were more like children in the face of human suffering. Second, Mr. Harris, allow me to apologize to you on behalf of my religious tradition. Somewhere along the way, we have given you and the rest of the world the impression that we know more about suffering than we actually do. The truth is, we never have had all the answers. Just look at Jesus' first disciples 
They are embarrassingly clueless. When bad things happen, you can count on a few loudmouthed Christians standing up and spouting off some God-known reason for the disaster. You can also count on the media to cover the shouting. Please, I beg you, Mr. Harris, don't listen to the shouting. Instead, listen to the murmuring. Somewhere underneath all of the shouting is the sound of the people I know. They are not answering, they are praying. Between us, Mr. Harris, I do wish we could offer more than just our prayers. Let me tell you this, and let it be our secret. I've wished for answers. I've begged for them. I've prayed for them. I've wished for them most, perhaps, when people are facing a disease like cancer, because a disease like cancer doesn't make sense. There's a mother I know that sits in Anson, Maine on this very day, Mr. Harris. She sits beside her young son, praying for his life, praying for him to be cured. He was doing all the normal things that a boy should do just a few months ago, but he got sick, and now he has chemotherapy and radiation every day. He was supposed to be playing baseball this spring. You tell me. You are the former CEO of Project Reason. Where is the sense in it? Mr. Harris, have you ever held someone's hand as they died of cancer? Mr. Harris, have you ever looked a man in the eyes after his wife died of cancer? Mr. Harris, have you ever tried to make sense of a diagnosis that makes no sense? If you haven't, I'm sure you'll forgive me for coming off sentimental, or as you would call it, superstitious. The truth is, as far as I can tell, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'm not sure where we would be. Oh, I know. I'm not sure if you have heard this story, Mr. Harris, the story of Jesus, and if you have, pardon me, but I really like to tell it. You see, we believe, at the very core of who we are, that Jesus walked the lonely road. And we believe, at the very core of who we are, that Jesus rose up in spite of it. One night, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus makes his way into the garden. We call this garden Gethsemane, and he went there every night after long days of teaching at the temple. We don't know if this happened every night, but on this particular night, Jesus is pulled away from his disciples. Have you ever felt like you've been pulled away from your community, Mr. Harris? I've been told that in the face of cancer, that's how you feel. We don't know where he's pulled, but we know 
it is about the distance of a stone's throw. How far is a stone's throw? I suppose it's only a little ways. But with the scene that follows, it feels like Jesus is separated from them by miles. Have you ever been nearby someone, Mr. Harris, but it seems like they're miles away? I've been told that in the face of cancer, that's how it seems. He kneels down and he prays. He prays so hard that he sweats. He sweats so hard that the drops that hit the ground are as heavy as blood. Have you ever prayed so hard that you sweat? Have you ever prayed so hard that you felt like you were gonna bleed? I've been told that in the face of cancer, that's how you pray. He doesn't complain. But he does say, take this cup. He knows he has no power to overcome this on his own. Have you ever felt that vulnerable before God? Then God does it. No, he doesn't take the cup. I'll grant you that, Mr. Harris. Jesus was going to face the kind of brutality that no person should ever have to face. Instead, God sends an angel to strengthen him. I don't expect you to believe in angels, Mr. Harris. But let me just say, remember that little boy in Anson, Maine? That little boy has a mother right now holding his hand the whole way. Tell me, that's not angelic. The little boy has friends praying for him every day. I was his mother's camp counselor, and so I get to see all the posts on Facebook cheering him on. Tell me, that's not angelic. That little boy has a community that put together almost $10,000 in just a few weeks, mostly from people who live paycheck to paycheck just so that they can have a little relief from the financial burden. Tell me that's not angelic. I respect your opinion, Mr. Harris, but could it be that God sends angels to those that travel on the lonely road and you've just missed out on seeing them? As much as we wish that God would make believing in him easier by giving us exactly what we ask for, he doesn't. As seems to be his custom, he doesn't give us the answers that we want. He sends us angels to give us the strength that we need. And with that, with that angelic strength at his side, Jesus rises up. He, he rises up. And I wonder if even you, Mr. Harris, can be moved by the wonder of this scene. For us, this is the refrain of our faith. And we sing it over and over again. Jesus raises up. It is the sight of a broken man given strength to stand up when he should stay down and be broken. That 
is the refrain of our faith. And this refrain is the cue for us in our brokenness to believe that through God's strength, we will not stay down and remain broken. Doesn't the seed of hope find soil in each of us? Maybe even you, Mr. Harris, right here in this moment. You say in your comments to that news agency that God is either impotent or evil or imaginary. I say, with all due respect, he is none of these things. I say, first and foremost, that God is in love with us. And always has been since the day we were created. God is in love with us. I say that God can be trusted, ultimately trusted with our lives and with those that have gone on before. I say that God is alive. I say that my Redeemer lives, that our Redeemer lives. I say that your Redeemer lives, Mr. Harris. I say that God rose up, and as he did, so do those that walk and have walked the lonely road. Whether it be the lonely road of cancer or any other senselessness. I say that one night in the Garden of Gethsemane, God gave senselessness a new and final foe, and his name is Jesus. And just when senselessness had thought it had won the day, just when senselessness had thought that a cross and a tomb had finished the job, well, I won't tell you what happened. Or maybe I will. God rose up. That's what I say. Now, far be it from me, Mr. Harris, to presume that I can offer you advice on how to live your life. You are clearly an influential person in your own right. I fear that I've already gone on too long for you to be open to my ideas. So I will finish with this. My mother had a flower garden. In the same way that Jesus went to Gethsemane, my mother went to her flower garden every evening. She was a seamstress and worked eight hours every day behind a sewing machine in my great aunt's dress shop. They made bridal gowns mostly. She came home every night and made dinner for my father, the logger, who came home from the woods covered in sawdust and grease. My mother almost always managed the children and the dishes on her own. But just before twilight every night, just before she put my sisters and me to bed, she made time to stroll out to her flower garden. I'm not sure what she did there. I think she picked a few dead petals and weeds. Sometimes she just stood there looking at the pansies and the irises. There weren't many flowers, but every night she went to them, if only for a little while. Then I laughed away her nightly walk 
as just another of her many plunges into a normal maternal insanity that comes with having three teenagers. Now I imagine that for a few moments, she was finding life without trying to make sense of it. Take a look at the flowers, Mr. Harris. They are beautiful. They have many colors and shapes. Not one of them is the same. Not one of them is perfect. Not one of them will live forever. The flowers don't make sense either, Mr. Harris, but they are here. Just like this flower in my hand, in your hands. They don't make sense. They're beautiful. And they're here. And in their simple and perseverant beauty, they give us hope that in our senselessness, so is God. So is God raising us up. With every good intention, Nathaniel D. Phillips, pastor. <laughs>